Mary Fabrics um, was a child prodigy, but when Rosa Parks refused to give up her seat on the bus, it was Mary Fabrics, Joanne Robinson, and others who memographed all those sheets and organized individuals. It was supposed to be a one-day protest. It ended up being 381 days. And Mary Fabrics was told, okay, if you continue to protest and do this, you're going to lose your job because she was teaching at the college level and she was investigated by the State Bureau of Investigation. She came to Maryland and she said, well, what do I do? I need a job. So she contacted her minister from Dexter Avenue Church, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King. And I have copies of the letters between them. And he said, well, I will help you any way I can. She got a job at the University of Maryland, Eastern Shore, Princess Anne. Hi, this is Stephanie Fowler. And this is Tony Russo. And you're listening to another episode of So What's Your Story? A podcast in which we talk to authors and writers about their writing, the stories behind the story, the writing process, and any of the sort of miscellaneous writing stuff that we want to talk about. Today on the podcast, we have Dr. Clara Small, Professor Emeritus with Salisbury University, historian and published author. She has written four volumes on local African-American history, and she joins us today to discuss her most recent work, Compass Points, Profiles and Biographies of African-Americans from the Damarva Peninsula, Volume 2. So welcome back to the podcast, Clara. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm glad to have you back on. I think this visit makes you our our most uh, our our most appearances as far as <laughs> podcast guests go. Because I think you've been here. I think this is your third or fourth time being with us today. Oh, thank you for inviting me. This is uh, really an honor. Well, I I love to have you back. Um, a little, I guess, inside baseball. But I was the one who uh, well, Saltwater Media was the one that uh, published uh, Compass Points too. And kind of what I love about what you're doing is you are going around and you are collecting these profiles and these biographies of important African-American figures on Delmarva. And you're collecting them in a way that I don't think anyone else is, a, is approaching the collective history in this way. And I was just wondering if you could tell us a little bit about your sort of drive to do this, your inspirations for wanting to kind of pull all this together. Well... I guess it started with a student <laughs> on a Friday afternoon who thought that he could get me to reduce the requirements for the class and said, well, blacks have never done anything in this country, and definitely not on the Eastern Shore. Oh. And I said, okay, would you repeat that? Oh, my gosh. And he did. And I said, well, okay, I'm thinking – Something is wrong with this young person in my African-American history class to say that. Yeah. And steam's coming out of everywhere. So I had to calm myself down because the first thought was, I would kill this kid. <laughs> right, right. So, sort of a natural impulse, oh, yes. I think. Oh, yeah. In my African-American history class. So he, uh, I gave them the um, rest of the class off. I said, go home. Be ready for anything I throw at you on Monday because you better be ready for anything on Monday that I've scheduled for the whole week. So I went home and started typing. I typed all night long, produced a 32-page document, went to campus Sunday afternoon to Xerox it so everyone would have a copy, 
And the president at the time, uh, Dr. Murray, came into the building. He said, what are you doing in the building this time of night? I said, I'm getting ready for tomorrow. And I explained to him what had happened. So he said, was that student crazy? I said, no, just uninformed. He will be informed by tomorrow. (laughs) No doubt. he took a copy and went to Hawaii the next day. On Tuesday, he called back to campus, told public relations, get in touch with Clara Small. She has a document I want ready. He said, it's fine as it is, but just go through it. And uh, he said, and when it's finished, I want a red, black, and green cover on it. And he called Moldapool and said, when that document is ready, give her any call to take to the three um, boards of ed in the uh, area so they would have a copy for every library there. So that started me writing in a crazy way. And I had already started collecting information because when I teach, not only do I talk about national and international figures, I also talk about local figures. And so I had started collecting data and I now have 37 totes at my house. I know. Well, we've talked about that a lot, the <laughs> yeah. amount of research that you have. I mean, you almost have like a library of Congress in oh your dining God, room, I think. Yes, yes. And um, I even I have also rented a storage unit. Okay. Yes, I have. Because I have to have um, room to work. So I've just, this has become a labor of love. Oh, Trying sure. to save this history so that the next generation and even this generation will have some idea of the contributions of individuals in this area. Because um, when you look at what is happening here, we're losing a lot of the history. We're losing a lot of the history because as soon as one person dies, that's an encyclopedia that's lost. And until you talk to them and do the research, you don't know. Because the history books do not include a lot of information about African Americans. The same thing for women's history, same thing for ethnic history, you name it. So we have to fill in the gaps, and this is just one, one attempt to do so. Right, and I think that, I mean, what you're saying just now reminded me of a profile that was in Compass Points Volume 2, which is the, the new book you have out, was Mr. Jesse Turner, who oh, yes. was alive for you to interview him and talk yes. with him about his career and, and all that he had done. And then just in the process of us, pub- us working together to publish it, he passed away. And so that when you were talking, I thought, well, that is exactly That's what it. happened. That's it. He was a cobbler. I mean, he made uh, shoes. Like he repaired shoes. And I was so excited to find him. I took bags of shoes there. <laughs> And the thing was just talking to him and the process he went through to master his craft. That is what amazed me. And in his shop, he had shoes from Julia Roberts when she was down here doing the um, the film. Runaway Bride, yes. And so then the stories he would tell and also talked about Governor Agnew and uh, Johnny Cash and other people that came into his shop and Johnny Cash walked down the street barefooted because he wanted his boots stretched and worked on. So, I mean, those are stories that are priceless. Yes. And he also had copies of uh, um, their autographs. I mean, uh, Berlin, my God. And when you think about all the things that are ha- that's happening around here and little known facts. This is a gold mine. And until we get to understand and appreciate what has happened 
here on the lower eastern shore, I mean, they'll marvel. We are just ignoring our own history. And I think that has been one of the things that has been so incredible about the work that you've been doing. Not only have I learned a lot about a place where, I mean, I was born and raised here. You come from North Carolina. Right. But, you know, what I have learned is I had no idea one of the plaintiffs in Brown versus Board of Education was from Delaware. Oh. And there are things that in reading the work, I realized that, you know, the history of the African-American community on the Delmarva Peninsula has such far-reaching roots beyond Maryland, Delaware, Virginia, all the way into our nation's history, into international history as well. And I I think that's something that is an an eye-opening component to your work. Oh, my goodness. Thank you. But um, Shirley Bula Stamps, I had no idea until I started doing the research and I, I said, the name is so familiar, Bula. Why would that name be familiar? And I went to um, Dell State for a conference on the Brown versus Board of Education Topeka, Kansas decision. There she was. I had the opportunity to take pictures of her, to talk to her, and she's another person who has passed. But the thing was, this woman was so giving and explaining everything that happened. And plus, she, um, her, her mother, she was um, basically a thrown, thrown away child. Right, I think it was like you wrote, she was an abandoned baby. An abandoned baby. And this lady who could not have children decided she wanted that child and to take care of her. And she got in touch with Lewis Redding, one of the attorneys who worked with Thurgood Marshall. He was from Wilmington, Delaware. Right. And Lewis Redding had previously sued uh, the University of Delaware to allow students from Dell State to attend the University of Delaware because they were closing down some programs at what is now Dell State. So when you think about all of these things and these different individuals coming together and what they were going through, it is a history that must be recorded. It must be preserved. If we don't, we're losing a large component of our history and it's easy to think that it didn't happen right and I think that there are components to the I think that there are moments and people connected with the civil rights movement that I think sometimes we tend to think of it as like out there but really these are people here in Maryland and in Delaware and in Virginia who were you know involved and doing things and active and I know that um, one of the people uh, in Compass Points, too, is uh, uh, Reverend David Burdell, who was very good friends with Martin uh, Martin Luther Luther King. King. Actually, he was there at the moment when he became Dr. Martin Martin Luther Luther King King, because they went to school together. They went to school together. They had dinner together. They, you know, I mean, the closeness, the um, the connectedness, the connections that are that we find out about individuals. And you don't know until you start talking to them. Right. And another person, uh, Dr. Mary Fair Burks. Mary Fair Burks um, was a child prodigy. But when Rosa Parks refused to give up her seat on the bus, it was Mary Fair Burks, along with uh, Joanne Robinson and others, who memographed all those sheets and organized individuals. It was supposed to be a one-day protest. It ended up being 381 days. 
And Mary Fab Burks was told, okay, if you continue to protest and do this, you're going to lose your job because she was teaching at the college level and she was investigated by the State Bureau of Investigation. And she was told by the governor's office, okay, if you don't stop, you're going to lose your job. You have a choice, lose your job or resign. So she resigned. She came to Maryland. And she said, well, what do I do? I need a job. So she contacted her minister from Dexter Avenue Church, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King. (laughs) King's, and I have copies of the letters between them. And he said, well, I will help you any way I can. She got a job at the University of Maryland, Eastern Shore, Princess Anne, and continued to organize people who worked at the hospital and everywhere else here in Salisbury. Something you don't think of a lot, um, or maybe that we don't think of enough, is the the idea of there, we think of these you know, these icons that we don't forget that they have a support Point team group. who's yes. at least as committed as they yes. are. Maybe yes. Maybe more committed and just less charming. But at, oh, yes. at people who people who back luminaries have to have a lot of gumption. Like you, oh, it's you a lot to. of work and it's no glory. That's <laughs> you know, it. That's the mimeograph, it. right? But can you believe that that lady came here to this area and when Martin Luther King, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, came to UMES to speak, guess who introduced him? Mary Falberg's. And when Coretta Scott King came here, she spent more, Mary Falberg spent more time introducing her than her speech. <laughs> <laughs> Serious. But I think it's incredible that you have gone, and it's not just people in the civil rights, but it's people like Mr. Jesse Turner, who, you know, was a cobbler. Also, Patrick Henry, who is an incredible artist here in Berlin. You captured his biography. So I just wanted to ask the question, you know, when you approach, do you think about, you know, oh, I already have 10 teachers in this collection, or I need to find more sports figures, or, I mean, when you're approaching it, do you just let the people come in, or do you try to sort them by... Oh my gosh. Some, some way to kind of catalog them. Sometimes it just happens. Mm. And you start putting it together, and then you realize, oh my God, I got too many of this group. And I said, but then you say, okay, what did they do? And some of you take out for the next edition. Right. Uh, the truth of the matter was, I said, oh, one, one book, Compass Points One. That's fine, Compass Points. I didn't expect to be doing Compass Points 3 or 4. <laughs> yeah, because right. I think you're working on Compass Points 3 now, yes, actually. Yes, yes, yes. But it's the label of love. Mm. And as long as I have the strength in my body and the will to do it, I plan to continue. And as long as you will publish this stuff. Right. Right? <laughs> well, I will never not publish this. But oh one of the other things, too, that I think is so fascinating to me is that you are so prolific. You're oh able gosh. to do so, you're able to work on so many projects and do them all so well. You know, you've been working on oh the biographies God. that go into compass points, but then you've also been working on the um, African American uh, Civil War soldiers projects as well. So for me, the question is are you just so in love with history, or is it sort of like a just this impulse to collect it all sort of in a documentarian style? Oh, to save it in any way I can. I'm having a ball. <laughs> I'm just having a ball. And when I'm working on something, and if I need a break, I will take a break, and I work on something else for two hours or three hours. 
And then when I look at the clock, it might be 2 o'clock in the morning. But to me, it's a labor of love, and I'm having a ball. I actually wanted to follow up on that because in addition to being a labor of love, it's it's it needs doing. And as a I, 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 I was a history student, and one of the things that you you find out early on in history is people were horrible at this a long time ago. <laughs> and you want you want to leave something, you want to say, hey, here, start here. You're looking for somebody to write about, start here. You're looking for somebody you know, to, to find an interesting an, an interesting, I don't know, um, trend, start here. Like, here is some of the work, because the number of, I mean, for, for, forget about the African-American community, just the number of people before 1800 that were documented who weren't oh. kings or generals That's right. is, is none. And if you look at the people around you and you see what they are, what they have accomplished and what they are attempted to accomplish, you say, oh, that's different. That's interesting. That individual had the foresight to try to document what was going on. Mm. And until you start digging, you really don't know all that a person has gone through in order to accomplish that goal. Sometimes they don't always reach their goal, but at least they're moving towards it. And you can see you can see where they left off. You can yes. see what they were doing if you're looking to follow along. You can say, oh, okay, yeah. well, this is a way that it was done. And... So in so many instances, we forget that we have a shared history. The history here is not isolated. It's just that sometimes it's just not taught, and it's not taught properly. And history can be boring as all get out. I mean, <laughs> Columbus sailed the ocean blue, 1492. Right. Good God, what does that mean? I mean, <laughs> I don't know. I'm sorry. I'm not. No, you <laughs> I, I talk to my daughters about this a lot because it's something that... I think it's something that faces a lot of academia, but for some reason, history gets a worse rap. Like it does. People are like, well, I don't want to be a physicist because I would like to talk about the stars, but I don't want to do calculus. Calculus mm-hmm. seems boring. But then when you get through calculus, you get to talk about That's the stars. And then, but history, people, my, my daughter said, well, it's boring. I'm like, yeah. It's but true. you're going to have, if you, if you can get through the boring stuff. A, you learn like you cannot bore me. There's no one who can re- give me something that I get bored by. I, you you get caught up in the. You're like, yes, you this do. really happened, and I want to put myself in it. And you just have to have that happen once, and then you learn how to do it. And what about the personality? The personality of the individual. If you learn something about that person, in the context of time, it makes more sense. Because I had to find a new way to teach world said because. Okay, we're talking about dates and, and this war and that war. What about the individuals behind it? Why did they do certain things? And as you start teaching it in that manner, it makes more sense. Hmm. You talk about people who were a little bit crazy in history, and some were, really were. And why did they do certain things? And their contacts with other people. Hmm. That makes more sense than 1492, <laughs> a date. How many people were killed in the war? Okay, you can mention that. But why did the war occur? Why did this person act in a certain manner? And what um, impact did it have upon that country and other countries? Makes more sense to me. And that's how I teach. You know, I had to teach history in a different way so I wouldn't be standing there teaching that same class three times a day and being bored to death that, you know, I... I could just die. <laughs> but I had to find that way, a way to do it. 
so that it made sense to me and students will learn. So I started uh, researching most of the major political figures and talking about their personalities and what they were doing. Because some of them were a little bit strange, really weird. And that, and that's what sticks with you, oh, right? Yeah. More, I mean, all right, so they did the 1492 thing, but that rhymes, yes. right? But if it doesn't rhyme, but if yeah. you're, if you're, you know, uh, if you're, if you're a, a quirky individual, that's your, that's your way in. You're like, hey, mm-hmm. look at this kooky guy. I want also, you know, he was president of France, <laughs> you know, and that, that'll stick. And I told my students, Look at Jeopardy. See how many answers you can get correct on, um, on the show. That was a hook for many students. I said, because I watch Jeopardy every night. I said, you may even find one or two questions on the test. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, and you have to find a hook. You have to find a way to get them involved. And another way I got students to be interested in history was I required them to write a 10-page paper about themselves and uh, their heritage. There you go. Yeah, okay. And I didn't care whether it was World Civ, African-American history, racism and discrimination, civil rights. That's because you are part of history. And for you to understand history, put yourself into it. And in order to answer the questions and write about yourself, you've got to interview your parents and your grandparents. We don't talk to them. They pay you money for tuition. <laughs> so it was always due the week after Easter or the week after Thanksgiving, which meant that was your time to yeah. talk to family. Yeah. Right. Well, I think one of the things that, that you bring up that I think is so true and something that I found was that, you know, when you were talking about having finding these interesting personalities and one of the immediate people in your book uh, in volume two is – uh, Melvin Harris, oh. and you know he is—he is sort of a larger-than-life personality and someone that you know I—I I grew up just admiring, and you know the stories that he tells about you know coming to Wicomico County um, as Wicomico County education was segregated, and then through the process of integration and the things that he and his wife also Clara, Clara uh, yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, the things that they faced as um, a young black couple in this county. At, from segregation into integration and you know and then he continued to teach for 40 years oh, he yes. was a band director but when you talk about making it count to me he is such a perfect example of a of a man who was able to connect with kids across all well, backgrounds spectrum. yes all backgrounds all races all you know young men young women and really pull them in and say, "Hey, this is this is how this thing works, and this is how we're going to work together." Oh, and yes. you know, I thought your your illustration of him was just incredible. Oh, he was fantastic! Oh my God, I mean, I had known him for years, but I did not know that he was a band leader at the time, mm-hmm. because I guess because you you run into people along the way, right. but you don't always know what they have accomplished, what they've done, and I started reading and reading about him. In your book, one time. Yes, yeah, I got to be crossing. The, the second time yeah. I've been a footnote. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> and so I said, oh, wow, this man is fantastic. And when I called him to interview him, and I walked through the door, I said, oh, my God. <laughs> because I had known him. And that's one thing that you run into. People you see along the way, you don't know their story until you start interviewing them. And you start pulling it together, and you say, oh, my God, okay, 
this is amazing. These individuals have gone through so much, but at the same time, their story has not been told. Their stories have not been told. Right. So. Well, and you have to have, I mean, I, I guess what's, I, I, again, it's about being a historian, but also about just having a curious intellect. You have to have the wherewithal to ask the questions and then the courage to actually do it, to say, I want to know about you. Oh, yes. And when people, when you, like, even when I do, like, a newspaper story, I'm like, I want, they're like, me? Why do you want to know about me? Mm -hmm. And then they read the story and they're like, hey, yeah, no, I am interesting. Mm -hmm. And until you start asking questions of the individuals, they have forgotten a lot of the things that they've gone through and sometimes purposely have forgotten some of it. I interviewed a man on Monday up in Easton, and as we were talking, he said, well, oh, you gave me all of the 30 questions to answer. I said, yes. He said, well, the last 10 I didn't answer. I said, well, let's go through them then. And as he was talking, I said, well, what about such and such and such? Oh, I forgot about all of that. I said, that's a major accomplishment. I said, you did this for 10 years? Yeah. Driving veterans up to D.C. for 10 years? I said, that helped individuals to get to um, to Walter Reed and other places. Right. I said, and, well, we did this and we did that. And I said, that's important. It may not have been important to him, but it was important to other people who really needed those services. It's, it's, it's easy to be jealous of, of teachers. And I, my, my wife is a teacher, you're mm-hmm. a teacher. And I think, of, I think of how often that I think of my professors. And I don't think you guys appreciate, like, my, so my wife teaches the eighth grade. And she's like, you know, and I'm like, let's call it three kids. It's more. But let's say three kids a year really you really get to and when they're 40 they're like oh you know i had this teacher that said this one thing and i believe that to this day and that's what makes me do this Mm -hmm. like you have this kind of influence over curious minds and then to use that to say yeah you be curious too it's a gift that you give that i don't think you understand the the preciousness of it oh my goodness i have students from 20 25 years ago emailing me all the time oh I saw this documentary, and <laughs> now I understand what you were talking about. I have gone through the um, Chicago airport, rolling, trying to connect, and same thing through Atlanta. I hear my name called. I'm saying, Miss Mom, Miss Mom. I'm saying, oh, my God, what has <laughs> happened now? <laughs> Somebody's running behind me with their, what are, their children. <laughs> this is my youngest child, and da 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 and I get pictures all the time. So it's fun, and and just, it's amazing. Just like a, when I was in Missouri, I just got a text from somebody. That's been, I've been out of Missouri for 40 years. <laughs> Longer than text messages. Yeah. That's yeah. why it took so long yeah. for you to hear from them. <laughs> oh, but, yeah. I think, but I think one of the cool things for me to sit on the side of the table, you know, across from you so many times is to watch our community appreciate you as an expert. You know, and I think that, you know, your involvement with the Harriet Tubman Museum and your involvement with, you know, the state archives and with all the different groups that you speak to and all the different things that you do. For me, it is such a joy to watch people recognize you as our expert. And I I just think that's really incredible that that you number one, that's because no one else is doing this work. If someone else is doing this work, I have no idea who they are, but you are capturing something completely special about the Eastern Shore that I don't 
I, 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 like I said, I don't know anybody else doing this. Oh, I'm just trying. Like I said, I said, I'll do this one book and that, you know. And I looked at the list of people. I have almost 200 people, a list of over 200 people. I'm saying, when can I finish this? And so. But people approach you now and ask to be oh in the Oh, my book. God, yes. <laughs> yes. And I'm saying, okay. I said, well, let's sit down and let's talk about what you've accomplished. And I said, if you have any documents and awards and stuff, bring those along. And I'll come to you and we'll sit down and we'll go through it. Because you're a big primary document. I mean, from from a historical perspective, you like those primary documents. Oh, I love them. I love them. (laughs) Oh, God, I'm just a crazy old woman having a good time. But, you know, but you have to find something that you love. And no one would believe that I began college as a chemistry major for two years. I had to be out of my mind. But anyway, (laughs) I found my niche. I found my passion. And so it's been history, and I'm loving it. Well, it's just because you get to, to, like I said before, you get to engage, not not just engage with the past, but you get to get caught up in it. Like, I've I've done the same thing, so I'd have this interview project that I'm doing. And it's the same thing. You're listening, and you're typing, and you're trying to get it organized, and the next thing you know, five hours are gone. Oh, yeah. And, like, your back will let you know. You're like, oh, wow, I guess I've been here for a while. Like, oh, your yes. mind doesn't let you know. <laughs> your back will tell you after a while. And lots, the TV watches me almost every night. <laughs> and nine times out of ten, I'm downstairs. I'm not upstairs in the bed. Right. <laughs> and I wake up at six in the morning, okay, <laughs> you know, so. But I'm having a good time. And thank you for naming the book. Oh, Stephanie named the book because I can't. I said, I don't have no idea. I have no idea what to name the book. She said, You have it here. I said, What do you mean? She said, In my introduction, I had always stated that if you drop a compass on the eastern shore and expand it 60 or 90 degrees, you will hit the home sites of most important African Americans on their model in the nation and internationally as well. She named the book. Yeah. Yeah, because I thought, you know, really what, and one of the, one of the inspirations behind that thought for me was Harriet Tubman, who was in uh, volume one, Compass Points volume one. And when you think about, you know, the direction, when you think (laughs) about, you know, I mean, there is, I mean, she was, you know, a, she was a, a compass point for for freedom, you know, she was showing people where to go, where to look. So you have all of these people who are these reference points for the civil rights, for education, for art and the humanities and literature and all these different things. And I'm like, I mean, this is all about the compass points of, of who we are and where we are. Oh, yes. So and I'm was, so grateful for you. Thank you. Well, and I'm so grateful for you being, you know, for, for working with me on these projects. I absolutely, you know, being a nonfiction person myself, I absolutely love it when you come in the door and you're like, I've got a new project. I'm like, all right, let's, let's get to cracking here. All right, Stephanie. Well, now this is the part of the show where you thank the guest. Well, Clara, thank you so much for coming back and talking with us about volume two. Thank you for having me. So what's your story? Was produced by Saltwater Media an indie book publisher in Berlin, Maryland. Visit us at SoWhatYourStoryPodcast.com where you can find past episodes, guest bios, show notes, and all sorts of fun stuff. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Radio Public, and Stitcher Radio. And if you like it, then feel free to give us a good review.
tell your story.